good morning. Some of you probably surprised. And somewhat, you know, years and years ago, we had one of my Bible instructors at Midwest always told us to be prepared. And then thinking and praying and thinking, you know what's going on in this world. And you know how awful it is. And you know the situations that each one of us face. So I didn't want to talk about that. Which is probably good news to some of you. But in thinking the situation I wanted to kind of do a recap of a man's life and in doing so in preparation of some of the things I come across some scriptural supposedly some scriptural quotations at least they were biblically from different individuals through the walks of time. So I want you to listen closely. We'll be addressing it in fullness as we go through this morning. <clears throat> the reading goes as this. And it for more foremost analyzes, I'm going to say, a Christian man's life from, you might say, cradle to grave, but that's not what the title of the message is. But it says, once I was a slave, but now I am a son. Once I was dead, but now I am alive. Once I was darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. Once was a, I was a child of wrath, an heir of hell, but now I am a heir, heir of the king. Once I was Satan's bondservant, but now I am God's freeman. Once I was under the spirit of bondage, but now I am under the spirit of adoption that seals up to me the remission of my sins, the justification of my per person, and the salvation of my soul. And other than a word or two, that I mischanged out and selected an altered one. That was pretty much the original quotation from a Thomas Brooks. I don't know the man, but anyway, that's one of the things that he said. Summonize 
giving a summary of life and what God has done for him. But anyway, it pretty much sums up the complete cycle of a Christian's life. The life that he lives. But before I go into the furtherance of the, anything further, and I announced you the title, we're going to have a word synopsis, review, and challenge you maybe to some thoughts. Because we know that words are important. And I don't need to document that fact from Scripture, but we know that they are. In your mind's eye, I would like for you to think and to evaluate what these following words may mean to you. The first one is independence. And being independent. What does it mean? It probably means something that you don't think of normally. But that means being not under the control of others or not subject to another's jurisdiction. We see that prevalence of that in society. The opposite of that is dependent. And we know that those of you that realize that we're in a world where everybody at one point or time has to fill out a tax form. And you know that a dependent, in that case, was a child. Or somebody that you were supporting. There could be other circumstances that allowed that, but, but that means being re, relying on another for support or subject to another's jurisdiction or authority. Where do we stand in the way? as far as the world is concerned and individually regarding our Christian life. Are we dependent enough on God? Strangely enough, I thought of one other word that I thought was important. If we're going to analyze the cycle or the beginning and the ending of an individual's life as we refer to our journey here on earth. And that is commitment. And there's a few surprises there. Commitment is an agreement 
generally, if you look at Webster's, Merriam, or a pledge to do something. And certainly whenever you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you supposedly gave a commitment that you're going to agree to and do something. Now I'm going to give you some other words that we hear throwing around that means essentially the same thing. It's referred to as a synonym in our educational system. The first one that they named was allegiance. Consistency. You don't think of that as being part of the commitment, but consistency. Dedication, devotedness, devotion, faithfulness, loyalty, and steadfastness, and there's a few others, but I'm not going to take the time this morning to go through each and every one of those. But certainly we find it interesting, and obviously every one of them is important in our Christian life. <clears throat> the exact opposite, I guess, is the, the antonyms means disloyalty. Faithful, faithlessness. Inconsistency. Even treachery. Treacherous. An unfaithfulness. I'm going to share one more quote before I get into scripture and analyzing, considering the subject. And I've, we narrowed it down, and my first title was a little longer, and Diana thought it should be something else, so we come out with before and after. Before you was a child of God, before you had accepted Christ, after and what's involved. Again, I don't know this individual and I'm not that much on literature, but Dick haven't haven't sure. Haverson, Haverson, kind of an odd name. But the only per reason anyone should believe Christianity is for the mere, fair, the mere fact that it is true. The truth of Christianity rests on historical facts which do not change. Truths which are open to test, normally applied to other events or claims. It is not a matter of whether it sells or whether it works, whether it feels good or provides meaningful experiences. What Christianity teaches us is the correct explanation of 
the reliability of life. When we go through life, the reliable. I want us to consider together just a little bit The first quotation I give you as we consider the before and after. Once, the phrase, once I was a slave, but now I am a son. In other words, you was enslaved to something. You were under bondage. And primarily that of bondage was sin. Regardless of how good you was, how good your parents were, Scripture tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Lamentations 1 and 14, I'm just going to pick the first part of the book, the yoke of my transgression. And that yoke was being under the bondage of sin and serving man. Turning to Romans 8 and 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. So once we were under bondage, but we have been changed and entered into his glorious liberty. And you're going to find out just a little bit later, perhaps to some extent, and very limited this morning, that... We're just not at liberty to do actually exactly what we please or want it to do. But we're under the liberty of the Lord. We're free from sin. And we're also the children of God. Scripture uses that two or three places. Again in Romans 8 and verse 15 it says, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again, to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We didn't receive that through the Lord. We received the freedom from it, the spirit of adoption. And, and of course, whenever you become, through an adoption, you become a dependent of someone. In this case, in the spiritual world and fire, whenever you accept Christ and are adopted as the Son of God, then ob obviously we are dependent on that individual or should be. In Galatians 4 and verse 7, we read, Wherefore, 
Thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That is hard for us to somehow realize it to the fullest extent, I think, that is to do it justice. To realize what it means to become an heir. We're referred to as the Son of God. So therefore, if we're the Son of God, and it says we've been adopted, adopted adoption brings you into a dependent state on somebody to do their will, to follow their instructions, to walk faithfully for him and in him. So, and also we have become the heir. An individual once wrote, We have been adopted as sons of the Lord with this one condition that our life expresses Christ. The bond of our adoption, accordingly, unless we give and devote ourselves to righteousness, we not only revolt from our Creator with wicked, and he used the word perfectity, which means faithless or disloyal, but he also renounced or reject our Savior. <clears throat> I've just inserted a few definitions of the words that he indicated there. Uh, and that was written by someone that I don't particularly hold in the greatest of esteem, but it was written originally by John Calvin. But the thing that strikes me is in his wording, and I'd never thought of it in that sense, that in effect we revolt. We might say rebel, refuse to follow God's will, God's instructions. God's commandments, and so on. We're going to spend a little more time in that scripture, but it says, once I was dead, but now I'm alive. So I want I picked out a text of scripture, and I'd like for you that's got your Bibles with us to turn to Romans to chapter 6. And I'll begin reading with verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sins live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like the Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. That's the before life. With him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that he shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, death no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into our <clears throat> sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yielding yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have Dominion over you, that's your freedom, liberty. I'm sorry, I looked away and lost my place. Neither you. But, okay. But then, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we were the servants of sin, but we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, we become the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. 
For as we have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now ye yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when we were the servants of sin, we were free from righteousness. You didn't possess any righteousness. You didn't possess any inheritance or any hope of inheritance. The what fruit hath we then in those things when we are now ashamed? <clears throat> For the end of those things is death. But how now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that was lengthy, but again that took us through some of our past and future aspects as the Apostle Paul was admonishing for us to consider. Again, thinking on those key words, we were it was submission or even commitment involved. Definitely those two words heavily throughout the scriptures. Once you were before you knew Christ, you were in darkness, and so are the phrase of the quotation that I gave earlier. Once I was darkness, but now I am light unto the Lord. I don't think that we need to do a great deal of exposition as far as what that means, but I'll just give you two references. Ephesians 5.8 tells us that sometimes we were in darkness but now are we light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. A directive to walk. Our natural tendency is to rebel. But remember, you've got to have dependence on God to see you through. You've got to have commitment to see him through. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 5 tells us we are the children of light and the children of the day we are not the night nor the darkness. So before in the before life you were walking in darkness but now having received Christ we are children of the light and walking in daylight lightness at one point in time we were wrathful once I was a child of wrath an heir of hell that's an expression that I don't particularly like but it's 
reality because we know what happens for the sinner. But now I am an heir. I think that a lot of times we fail to recognize the very significance that we are not what bound as we were, but now we are an heir of God, a son of God, and an heir to life and salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 5. I may paraphrase part of it. But anyway, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That doesn't paint a very pretty picture in my mind to what our previous conditions were. We were walking in the lust of the flesh, the sins of the world, fulfilling our own desires, of the flesh and of the mind. And by nature, we were the children of wrath. Now, thinking about the situations of so many into modern day, just think what's happened. I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but just mention it, but in the things that is being sung, the things that you see on, as Brother Padilla used to call it, the television, and it was pretty mild when he was calling it that even. Now I'm sure he'd flip over in his grave if that were humanly possible. But now then it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. We're saved by grace, but that doesn't give us the liberty to do as we please. And if you think it do, does, then you're reverting back to your past before you begin. Children of wrath. Men or individuals who gave way to the wrath disobedience 
And if you look up the words wrath and strong, you'll find out it means vengeful, anger, indigation. We rebelled. James 2 and 5, it says, Hearken, my breath, beloved brethren, hath not God, God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which ye have promised to them that love him? That's what we currently have, heirs to the kingdom. It's a promise of God. And I don't want to do overkill, but Romans 8 and 16 and 17, verses 16 and 17, tells us that the, the Spirit, God's Spirit, witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that ye suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Again, if... We have accepted him and done his prerequisites and become a child of God. Then we are heirs. First Peter, in an awkward way of saying it, and it is perhaps twisted by many people of the world, but unto an inheritance kept in heaven, it's not up there, it's just reserved there for you that can't be destroyed, corrupted, or changed. Once I was Satan, a Satan-bound servant, but now I am God's freeman. And that phrase that he used in that quotation brings us again in 1 Peter 1, 18. I'm not going to read the whole text, but you can note it. But it anyway, he's says that we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold and so forth. And then in Galatians 4 and verse 3, it talks about once we were in the past in sin, then we were
But anyway, it was the same way with us, that we were children, we were slaves to the basic principles of this world. That's where we were. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, most of you might be familiar with that one, but tells us that we were bought with a price when our God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We were bought with the precious blood of our Savior. And lastly, in John 3.36, or chapter 8, 3.36, it says, If the Son therefore hath made you free, ye shall be free indeed. That's what it was. And as we analyze and think of what that quotation, if you remember up front, he kept a flipping back and back and back. I don't know why. It seemed like he was dwelling on the past more than the future, but nonetheless, again, it talked about once I was under the spirit of bondage, but now I am under the spirit of adoption that seals up the remission of our sins. And again, Galatians 4 says we were in bondage. Galatians 4, 9. Now, after I've known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements wherein ye desire again to be in bondage? Ask the question, why would you want to go back? To the bondage of sin. <clears throat> Galatians 5 talks about, 5 and verse 1 talks about this, just to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of the bondage. That's the sins of the past. I believe that as we look at through scriptures, considering our past life, future life, I believe every individual who has accepted Christ, and I'm going to name, go ahead and name a couple of things. Number one, we accepted Christ. Number two, we repented of their sins. Number three, we've been converted. And number four, baptized, has been adopted into the family of God. Therefore, we are obligated to be vigilant, to be active and to be productive in his service.
And I hope that you've never heard it, but over the years, I've heard different people say, well, God just didn't give me any talent. I bear to beg you a difference with you. You've got some kind of a talent. It may be dormant and not exercised, but in many cases it's been the truth. Now that we've passed beyond the past life and we're in this new life, obviously Scripture gives us many things that we should shun and things to seek. Shun and seek. Second Timothy is probably a fairly known scripture to you, but nonetheless, I'm going to share it to you in these closing comments. In chapter 2 and 22 through 26, the admonition is to flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. And that phrase right there is sometimes ignored by Christians. People will come at you with different things that's, that will get you kind of enmeshed in it could look, look obvious or maybe it's not so obvious and so on. And it brings doubt and confusion in your mind. So avoid them. Knowing that they do gender strives. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle with all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. In essence, and I don't know why, I can't explain why, but there's an old hymn that I remember, and I'm pretty sure it was in the Church of God, Hymns of Truth, the original Greenback one, going back. We couldn't find it in the new one anyway. But it says, toiling on. In other words, we got to keep on fighting. Keep on working. Keep on reading. Keep on studying. Watch what we're being bombarded with and how it opposes the Christian principles that we've learned. 
because we have an obligation. We have committed ourselves. We have more or less In many ways in the world, we would almost consider it given an oath that we will serve the Lord and Him only. Then we must all keep on remembering. In 1 Timothy 6 and 9, it talks about those that be rich. And there's many ways that we are rich. I'm reminded by the, as I stand here before you this morning that in the children of Israel, they were warned and how they had wonderful, and I'm not going to use the biblical vernacular because I get tongue-tied on it, but Anyway, it means cedar, uh, nicely shaped houses, fine and dandy and so on. And forget the house of God or forget Christianity, as it were. But anyway, it, we have this rich in money or health, maybe a great job, blessings, you could name it all. And if we're not careful, it gives us the euphoria of feeling, I've never had it so good. And pride goes before a fall. And so we fall into temptation or snared and may never. But the foolish and hurtful lust which drowned men in destruction and perdition is found in that scripture. And Proverbs were warned in 18.7. It says a fool's mouth is his destruction. And the lips are the snare of his soul. In our Christian walk, you always must remember you are in the world, but not of the world. So, there's four things that I know that some people don't want to hear. But these are the four principles I think that we should observe. We should always act like a Christian. If you're a child of the king, why not act like it? Instead of all kinds of perturbance in the world. Secondly, we should always talk in a godly manner. 
And that's a whole sermon in itself. So I won't go there. A second way, another one I think of it, that we should dress in a way that reflects the honor of a child of the king or the son of God. And I'll never forget, and I'm just throwing this in for good worth. <clears throat> I can't remember the year, but probably about 70, in the 70s anyway, I'll just say that. There was a general conference in... Uh, not I... Um, Nebraska. But anyway, one of the, I think it was Nebraska. No, it was Kansas. Taught college there. And the young minister that was, and I, we were working together as one of the principals of the uh, planning committee then. That was before they got some specifics so sophisticated that they thought that they had to hire or use professionals somewhere else. And he said, boy, I can't wait to see the Californians come because you're going to have a wide awakening. And I thought when they started to come in and started to check in, I couldn't, if I'd have met them on the street, I would not have known that they had any inkling of belonging to the church of God, let alone the child of the king. Proverbs tells us in 29.6 that transgressions of an evil man is a snare, but the righteousness doth sing and rejoice. We've taken the journey. We've looked at the past. We've looked at the future. We've only looked at some of the things that God expects of us. But certainly he expects us to be dependent upon him, to be faithful to him, and to walk according to his will. So we can think, once I was a slave, But now I'm a son. Once we were in bondage, but now we are in freedom through the adoption as a son. But let's, we need to remember. And at first, you may not think that this applies. To this particular topic. But in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. 
And so we wonder, why do we have to knuckle under and say no, no? And sometimes I wonder if we've not under learned to say no enough. But anyway, it goes on to tell us, he's not willing that any of us should perish but that we should come into repentance. That's part of the transition between the before and the after. It's important. I played around with a play on words and tried to come up with some kind of a little model that might mean something. Try to make a play on words, and I'm not that good at it. But nonetheless, I'm going to share it with you in my last remark. The scriptural duties for the Christian man is never a slacker ever to be. Now some of you may not immediately realize what a slacker is, but it's a person who shrinks work or obligation. When you accepted the Lord, you accepted an obligation. Let's live up to it. Amen. Mm-hmm.